Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. is playing for the national title. It's too long and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Hello everyone and welcome back to the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Fan Nation here in Sports Illustrated. Michael Gross along with Michael McAllister and Josh Crawford here for episode 42, episode two of this season And we're going over Syracuse football, who just got their first win of the season in their first game against the Louisville Cardinals, 31 to 7, the final score. It was a trouncing. And I'm sure both of these guys that are along with me here uh, are thinking the same thing. And it was a fun game to watch from the beginning all the way to the end, Mike. It was. It was, uh, you know, it's funny. I came home and um, when, when I got home, everyone in my house was asleep. But the next morning, you know, my wife asked me how was game, et cetera. And. Um, I told her it was kind of the first time where it's felt like a McNabb era esque dome atmosphere. And that was from a number of fronts because Syracuse had some good teams since then 10 win teams, a couple of times been to multiple bowl games, but from a talent perspective, NFL caliber players at several different positions playing a team that you think, I still think Louisville is going to be a, a decent team this year, a bowl caliber team this year. You dominate them at home. The atmosphere of the dome, the student section was electric. All of that, 50-plus recruits in the house. It just felt like Syracuse football from the mid to late 90s. And I, it was fun to be there. It was fun to see all that. It was fun to see uh, Syracuse playing as well as they did. I think a lot of people went into that game thinking – not Louisville was the favorite, but Syracuse winning wouldn't be this major shocking result. But the way that they did it, I think, is what surprised a lot of people, surprised me, and I think is very encouraging for the way that the rest of the season could potentially play out. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BLEAVE50, B L E A V 50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online where the game starts. And Josh, we're bringing you in now as the, the football expert, the, the former Division One football player down in Prairie View, Texas. And from what you saw from this game, it looked like Syracuse had their hands on the reins from the beginning to the end. But part of that kind of came because of the defensive side, your expertise uh, on that side of the ball. It was pretty good and locked down uh, from, non- uh, from the start to the finish. I mean, yeah, you know, definitely, you know, I think we all have acknowledged at some point during camp that, you know, the D-line is the, you know, least experienced group 
going into the season, you know, somebody that was a, expected to be a big contributor was in game one. And, you know, his status going into game one was uh, very shaky was uh, Steve Linton. You know, long guy, 6'6", 220. You know, reminder, Georgia put everybody on the, the reminder uh, yesterday that the best football is played in the South. So, obviously, you know, I'm partial to him. But he was, you know, the guy outside of T-Lock and uh, Caleb that you really wanted pass rush production from. So, for him to, uh, you know, get, you know, as Coach Baby would like to say, get some hours during camp him to not be officially listed on the depth chart, you know, that was somebody that a lot of people had expectations for. And, you know, with him get coming in, you know, multiple multiple TFL, I think two or three, had a sack, a forced fumble. Like, um, that's the type of performance that you're going to want week in and week out from Steve. You know, he has the tools to do it. Um, that's somebody that, you know, could put himself on NFL draft boards and, you know, lead Syracuse to that bowl and then need, if he can you know, produce like that week in and week out. There was a lot of talk about being undersized uh, as a defensive line. I know because I, I went and I listened to a lot of Louisville radio the week leading up, the day of, uh, and they really said that the defensive line of Syracuse would have no chance against Louisville's offensive line. And obviously they proved them to be wrong. And Steve Linton was a big part of that. Um, but I think we have to talk about something. We have to address something first. Uh, two injuries that came up, uh, Stefan Thompson and Chris Elmore, done for the season in just game one. Uh, Coach Baber said they were going to redshirt unless something drastic changes. Uh, we will not see them step on the field in the blue and orange again this season. What are the short-term or long-term effects that losing those guys uh, can mean for this team, Josh? Um, no, jumping in with Steph, he is somebody that was alleviating some of that pass rush production. We've seen him as a pass rusher throughout camp working against Burge. You know, I think he did have either a sack, a whole sack or half a sack against Malik Cunningham on Saturday. You know, he's somebody that, you know, with him, Kel, and Marlowe, you know, makes up one of the strongest linebacking courts in the country. So that's, you know, definitely a big blow. But, you know, even for a team like Syracuse with, you know, Tony White and his vaunted defense, you have suitable backups. You know, a guy like Leon Lowry, who has experience last year. Derek McDonald, somebody that I put I put a, a special blurb in my uh, prediction, the, the depth chart predictions, because, again, from Atlanta. But he looked very good in, uh, in camp pass rushing and in coverage. And uh, McKill also had a lot of high things to say about him. So uh, in terms of for Steph, I think they have guys capable of providing the same kind of production. Obviously they're not going to be as active or, you know, consistent as Steph, but guys like uh, Derek and Leon can definitely, you know, fill some of the holes that was, you know, that Steph leaves was, you know, such, such a being such a great player in the middle of the defense. Yeah. And, and here's, I think if you go if you went into the season and your starting linebacking group was Mikel Jones, Marlo Wax, and Derek Donald, you'd still you'd still feel pretty good about that group as a whole. The problem is it hurts your depth. Uh, there's no question about that. Instead of having a guy like Derek McDonald as one of your primary backups on the outside, now he's a starter, which moves everyone else up. So, and Syracuse isn't a team that usually is an extremely deep team. Usually, you start getting down into the roster, and that hurts. Uh, your production on the field, but um, you know, I was pretty impressed with, with McDonald's against Louisville. And I think that's very encouraging moving forward. Louisville did not score when Derek McDonald's on the field, when they scored, it was prior to uh, Stefan Thompson getting hurt and he was out there. So now McDonald is not Stefan Thompson. They're different players, uh, but he, he does have a little bit of experience from playing last year and there's a reason that he was on the depth chart despite being a young player. So you lose a little bit of leadership, you lose a little bit of experience, but uh, you know the defense didn't miss a beat with Darren McDonald out there. He had a big interception that 
essentially gave Syracuse the opportunity to ice the game, um, you know, late in the third quarter with that pick that set up the touchdown uh, to put them up by 17. So, you know, short term, I think they'll be okay. Long term, if everyone else stays healthy, they'll be fine. The concern is you get another injury. Now you start getting into your third and fourth string, and that's where things could could potentially take a turn for the worse. Yeah, and I think that while we look at the defensive side, if you go to the other side of the ball and losing Chris Elmore, yeah, you're losing a guy that's very versatile, but you're also losing a, a really vocal leader uh, on this team, not just on the field, but off the field. Um, and I, I think losing Elmore is going to open up opportunities, uh, say, for Aranda Gadsden um, and a bunch of other guys. But Elmore, I just go back to that leadership thing. I mean, it's so important to have that leader. Um, and I think losing Elmore is going to kind of be a big hit for, for this team. Yeah. And he, the, the thing with Chris is, you know, he's, he's in his sixth year. Um, I, I kind of think he's trying to give Tom Brady a run for his money at playing the, you know, the most years at, at his level. But um, you know, I, the, the thing with the good thing is he's going to be involved still, right. He's still going to be there at practice. He's going to be there in, in the team meetings and uh, in his position group and on the sideline during games and, and helping from that perspective, but you don't have that on field leader. He was so solid. He's a big guy, really good run blocker. Uh, Max Mang filled in for him pretty well last year. So he has experience doing this. He played in uh, eight, I think Elmore missed eight games last year. So you got experience playing without him, but you know, anytime you lose a guy of his, of his caliber, the versatility, leadership, all of that, it's going to hurt you. Um, but the good news is they've got guys like Max Mang that have done that before. And so they'll just, they'll have to do it again. No doubt. No, that's, that's definitely true. And you know, you know, Rhino is a, a, a fan favorite. He like, he has been here 27 years, but you know, honestly, the dirty little secret is, you know, there are, I could name at least five or six guys that it would be more impactful for them to get hurt before Chris Elmore. Because, you know, honestly, you know, even with the the offense that Dino Babers runs, you know, fullback is just literally not as an important position as receiver, as defensive end, even as outside of Mike linebacker, which Stephon Thompson plays. So, like you said, we have experience with Maine, um, being somebody being a, a primarily inline blocking tight end. Uh, Ronde Gasson, he has some, you know, he's not a, he just got moved to tight end essentially two weeks ago, but he has some really impressive blocks, you know, in line and on crack box. Like he's, you know, 6'5", 220, but he he showed the ability on Saturday to be able to finish blocks and provide some physicality in the box. So that was an encouraging sign, something that we didn't see from all camp. And um, that'll be something that he'll have to do more of if he wants to, you know, kind of replace the hole that Ronald left. I actually thought the receivers as a whole blocked really well against they Louisville. Did, um, you mentioned Gadsden. I, I know he's a tight end, but he's, you know, he's been a wide receiver. He's got a wide receiver's body. He's a little bit lighter than your traditional tight end. But the I saw the receivers all game long, physical, blocking downfield, lots of effort in that department. And I thought that was a really good sign. Yeah. And if we kind of transition back to the offense, this was – Probably the best we've seen this Syracuse offense in a very, very, very long time. Uh, Syracuse scored on its first three drives, which is the first time they did that since October the 27th, 2018 against NC State. And it, it's really a testament to the Robert and I era beginning. And it, it, they they pretty much begun uh, on the right foot. Garrett Schrader, 18 for 25, 236 yards and, and three total scores. That's what you want from your, your quarterback. 
No, that's true. And it's, you know, that's something that, you know, we've been there at, uh, at Camp Gross. He had, like, the decisiveness, the accuracy, that mm-hmm. is not something that he could display on a consistent basis in camp. So it was, you know, it was great to see that. That was something that were, you know, hooking up with OG, hooking up with Courtney Jackson. You know, he had the timing because, you know, these were routes that, you know, over the middle of the field were covered, were contested, were you know, ball placement I, uh, things that were, you know, it was tight windows and he consistently fit it in. So, you know, I don't know, like he, he the one of the main things that we emphasized throughout the, uh, the offseason with him was him getting comfortable with Coach Beck and Anai. And um, it seems like he has. So that's very good for Q's. I like to call it the competency sitting to be in the pocket and to be able to make the the correct choice, which is an issue for which was an issue for Garrett Schrader. Maybe this is the start of something new in that Robert and I era. Yeah. And a lot of the things that they talked about that this offense was going to do this year that was going to be different than the years past. They did in, in week one, throwing the ball to the running back. Sean Tucker led the team in, in receiving yards, and he was a huge weapon out of the backfield, and it looked like Louisville didn't know what to do with him as a receiver. They threw the ball and, and exploited the middle of the field, whether it was to the slot receiver uh, or, or other guys, and they used the tight end multiple spots. Uh, Garrett Schrader looked poised, confident, in control of the offense. He knew where everything was going, and they, they blocked well up front both in terms of pass protection and on the ground game, which I thought was, was critical. Louisville's got a couple of really good defensive linemen that are going to get looks in, at the next level. And Syracuse really kept them in check all night long, a very encouraging signs in a number of fronts. And so we'll, we'll see what they do from here because now they have to, to use a Dino Babers ism, so to speak. They now have to be consistently good instead of occasionally great, because if you do that in week one, but then weeks two, three, and four, you take a huge step back week one was just, you know, was sort of the, the exception to the rule. You want to make week one, the rule and a down performance, the exception, that's where you have to be consistently good and build on this performance and take it in against uh, UConn in week two. No. And the last thing before we move off the office, like, you know, like I, we, I, we mentioned it last night in the Twitter space and you just said it, Mr. Mike talking about the protection for Garrett, like, I don't know. He definitely didn't get sat yesterday, and I don't even recall, you know, my uh, my preview with Burge and uh, Yasir Abdullah. I don't even recall anybody getting like a pressure on him. So you know, Rhino has a lot to do with that. You know, being an inline blocker. You know, Coach Babers likes to use him a, a lot of different ways, but from my eyes, he that's his, that's his most effective usage as an inline blocker and a pass protector. Which you know, tight end normally guys want the ball, but you know, a guy like Rhino, he's willing and able and excellent at doing the dirty work in pass pro and in the run game. So that'll be, that'll be something interesting to track, you know, as the season goes along, will, you know, that pass protection be as clean as game one. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll make one more comment on the tight end thing. When they were in 11 personnel, it was Max Mang that was out there. When they went into 12 personnel, they brought in Steve Mahar off the bench, who was a kid from Rochester and, uh, you know, he's only been with the, in the program a couple of years. He's a young guy, but he's really athletic and I think has a reputation of being more of a receiving threat than a blocker. But when he came out, when he went out there against Louisville, he more than held his own. I think that was an encouraging sign as well. So you, I think you'll see them flop, you know, flip and flop who, who they're going to put out there, depending on the personnel, the packages and, and what they're trying to do in that given play. It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer Bratwurst, Jalapeno Cheddar Sausage, Kabasi, and Bun Length Chicken Sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and Snappy Grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, 
you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. Well, another guy that was a receiving threat uh, on Saturday night was Devon Cooper. Four receptions for 60 yards. It, it looked like Garrett Schrader was very comfortable um, passing to, to Devon Cooper. He was just in the right spot at the right time. They looked like they were uh, you know, connected. Like Just every time Garrett Schrader threw him the ball, it looked smooth. It looked easy. Um, could this be a guy that maybe they start going to more often? Obviously, they're going to go to Tucker a lot out of the backfield. He had 84 receiving yards on, on six catches. Uh, but could this be a guy they go to more often uh, from the start? You know, maybe three weeks in, you kind of say, all right, this could be your, your number one, maybe your number two target if he gets more, if he gets more targets. Yeah, I mean, he, he's someone I think that was a little bit forgotten. When, when you were looking at the offense going into the season, because, you know, he's in his seventh year. I think it's funny that he's wearing number seven in his seventh yeah. year. Uh, you know, he's, he's on his, at his third school started off at Arizona, Syracuse created him out of high school, but he started out, he went off to Arizona and then, um, you know, I think it was at UTEP for a year um, and and then came into to Syracuse and has been here for the last couple of years. And when he originally came to Syracuse, I think he started out as a walk-on before he earned a scholarship. So um, he's kind of an interesting tale and, and took a winding road to finding a consistent role in an offense. But he's clearly doing that. He has the trust of the coaching staff. They move him around. They'll play him in the slot. They'll play him outside. He has excellent hands. We saw that on full display against Louisville, made a couple tough catches and as you said clearly has the trust of Garrett Schrader and when you have the trust of the starting quarterback you're going to get targets you're going to get targets where the window is small as Josh mentioned earlier that Schrader was putting the ball on point he's going to target Devon Cooper in those situations because of that trust factor so yeah I think his versatility um, his experience and in, in his his ability to be in the right spot at the right time and run the correct route and make the catches when the ball is there. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that's going to blow you away with elite speed or great runs after the catch or whatever, but just one of those guys that on third and eight is going to get you 11 yards or third and four is going to get you seven yards in the right spot at the right time and has the full confidence of, of the players on the field and the coaching staff. No, I definitely would agree. You know, Courtney Jackson, he had two good catches over the middle, especially uh something, uh, some good yak on the uh, the comeback, you know, making a man miss and creating creating plays with the ball in his hands. Um, but yeah, I think outside of that, it's still a thing to where we're looking for a solidified number two. And Coop seemed to have put the best case out there on Saturday. Um, OG, I think will be a, a focal point of this offense. I don't know what to call him in terms of his uh, official categorization, tight end receiver, but in terms of somebody that will be exclusively exclusively lining out wide, they started they started out with uh, Damian Alford, uh, drop pass. You know that was something that Coach Babers I, I saw emphasize. You know, one bigger, taller receivers, but you know the the, the tape is a tape. He didn't super, he didn't really separate from anybody. Like I said, he had a bad drop. No. You know, being in a D1 locker room, there's a huge difference in somebody being 25 and somebody being 19. Guys like Amari Hatcher, Donovan Brown, even Don Foster, who's no longer on the team, they all had good camps, you know, in the preseason. They all look good as somebody that could be get some good uh, catches besides Courtney Jackson. But uh, like Mr. Mike said, there's nothing that can replace experience and knowing where to be on the field at the right time. And um, when Coop has played, you know, seven years of college football, that's something that he can walk, get out of the, get out of the bed and do. And, you know, some that that's that's a trust factor that you just simply can't put in as even as talented as some of the freshman underclassmen that they have. They, yeah. They're going to need Damian Alford. 
this season. So, oh, yeah. you know, it, it was a poor game from him in week one. You mentioned the drop and wasn't getting open, but uh, he flashed the ability to get open last season, made some big plays in, in a couple of occasions, and he's got uh, that great frame. Uh, I think it's too early to write him off, but he's on notice that there's other guys that if he's not playing, you know, they're going to throw Isaiah Jones out there who's who had a really strong camp and a really strong spring. And, you know, he he made a nice catch against Louisville. So if he doesn't step up, they're going to put other guys out there. But I, I think uh, I don't think his season has been. I don't think the chapter has been written on him yet. So I, I would stay tuned. I, I still have a lot of hope for what he could potentially be. Well, I mean, part of that is a testament to the fact that Garrett Schrader does have a lot of options and whether that's the run game with Sean Tucker, maybe even LaQuint Allen uh, in some cases, and then he's got so many different receivers. But the thing that I liked about Schrader the most um, and, and really the offense the most is that they didn't have any turnovers on Saturday, which is surprising. Um, if, if you didn't watch the game, you, you said, oh, Syracuse 31 to seven. Uh, they had a good game, but how many times did they turn the ball over? We, we know they had an issue with the false starts uh, and, and all the offensive linemen on the line of scrimmage. I mean, flags galore, but no turnovers. Granted, that's good, but when you have, what was it, 18, 19 penalties um, in total? They will be running for that. That's, I, and and that's that. not going to fly against a Purdue, a, a Clemson, and Notre Dame, even an NC State or Florida State. It's not going to fly against those ACC, the other ACC teams. No, I definitely think that you're, you're, you're right in that assessment, uh, Gross. That's something that the offensive line continuity, they'll have to develop. Like you said, that's just an unacceptable number. And you can't win like that. Um, I just, you know, given the caveat, they, they did do some shuffling up, up front, you know, moving Carlos Vita center, moving mm-hmm. Black to guard. So, you know, I, I guess the average fan won't understand the astuteness or like the detail that goes into playing specifically center, specifically interior guard, specifically tackle. But that is a thing to where, you're going up against a different player type, you know, specifically centers. You have to be more knowledgeable. So offensive line is some. that's why, I mean, you have certain stars, but, you know, that, that group especially has to operate as, as one, five, five parts working as one. And that chemistry takes a long time to develop. And Mike, I, I wonder, too, if, if part of this was um, an overexcitement in the opening game, given circumstances, opponent, everything else. And I think we'll learn a lot about whether or not that was at least part of the story in week two. If this is something that creeps up again in week two, because you guys are right, you're not going to beat Purdue and, and Clemson and those type of teams with 18 penalties. Uh, I would have thought going into this game, if Syracuse had 18 penalties, they, they would have lost the game and they dominated anyway. So, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that assessment, but um, you know, I, I think part of that was, was the pre was the overexcitement. Dino Baber seemed to indicate during his Monday press conference that part of it was because I think his exact quote was the players on the other team were doing some things that they're not supposed to be allowed to do, but the referees were not determining that that's what they were doing. And so I, Maybe he thought they were replicating the snap count. Maybe he thought that they were jumping and not being called, whatever it is. Uh, but, you know, they've got the one game under their belt. The overexcitement excuse can't be there in, in game two. And uh, we'll see how they adjust to it going forward. I think Bergeron was the only guy that didn't commit a false start penalty on that line, which is I mean, special. Yeah, he's, he's a special he's kid. Special. He's going to be, you know, hopefully a, a top draft pick. Um down the line, but yeah, I think he was the only one that didn't have a, a penalty on the line, whether it was false start or offside, doesn't matter. Um, it, but yeah, that was an issue. And I agree with you. They're going to need to fix that uh, when the, the big team comes to town in Notre Dame or when they go on the road down to Clemson. Um, 
On the other side of the ball, however, that's, I think, where Syracuse shined the most. They shut Louisville down to only one score. Um, and I believe that was just in the – was it the first quarter? Yeah, yeah it was the first uh, quarter. Yep. And, yeah, and, and that's it. That's that's all they had. I know that um, uh, Madeline wrote an article earlier this week about how Syracuse had been, had been outscoring teams in the first, third, and fourth quarter, and – they had been outscored at maybe it was just in the ACC or it was the, or it was the whole season. Had they been outscored by like 40 or 60 points in the second quarter alone. So I was really worried, like, all right, they're up 10, seven after the first, they do have the ball. What's going to happen. You know, are they going to just crumble on this drive and give the ball up? Is it going to be the same old Syracuse? And obviously it wasn't because the defense was able to be so effective and stop Malik Cunningham. They were just reading the Louisville's offense really well. They were, and it was. It snapped a, a statistic that, or a streak that I don't think a lot of people knew about, which is Malik Cunningham coming into the game was the active S- FBS leader in consecutive games with a touchdown. He had 30 straight games with either a rushing or a passing touchdown, and he didn't score at all. So that streak got snapped on top of Syracuse snapping their three game losing streak to Louisville and dated last night or whatever the, the ridiculous was Louisville dominating that series. But, um, you know, they, they they were there right from the start to let Louisville know that it was not going to be as easy as it had been the last few years when they seemingly put up 40 points without even thinking about it. And, you know, they were more active. I thought they were better in coverage. You know, we didn't hear guys like Deuce Chestnut, Elijah Clark, Isaiah Johnson, the, the third corner when he came in. We didn't hear any of their names. The only name we heard was Garrett Williams because he made a spectacular interception, but the corners you didn't hear because there weren't guys running wide open. And that was an issue the last couple of years was the way that they schemed against Syracuse's defense. They got guys wide open. Actually, one of the plays that had worked was that deep post that Garrett Williams came off of his man. They were in a zone concept and he saw the way that that was developing and in his exact quote in the post game was, I felt like I needed to climb and he did and undercut the ball, picked it off for what would have otherwise been a touchdown. That just shows the adjustment in the film study that they did to correct the issues they've had against Louisville in years past, which is a sign of good coaching. I think we all knew that Tony White was a good coach, but they were they were all over everything. That Nothing that Louisville did outside of the one reverse pass fooled them. Uh, they, they were solid in coverage. They were really good against a run other than that 38 yard touchdown run that they had in the first quarter. Uh, they kept Malik Cunningham in check. It was just, uh, all three levels of defense from Syracuse was just solid. The, the young guys in the defensive line played extremely well, rotating some guys in and out. It was, we all thought the Syracuse defense was good. And yet I think they surpassed even what the most optimistic Syracuse fans thought they could be with this performance. Josh, which of the three levels were the best in your opinion? Um, I mean, that's all, the best. Well, here's the thing. Malik Cunningham, he does a lot of his damage with the ground, on the ground. So the defensive line was the most important and they performed the best. You know, like I, I mentioned earlier, Steve Lennon, you know, that edge rush, that consistent pressure, even, you know, he had, I think he said, you got two TFLs, one sack. He had at least three or four pressures, you know. So, you know, I, I don't know if Q's fans are going to fully appreciate because it is week one, the type of defensive effort that we just put on Malik Cunningham. But this is a guy that, like, he's about to, about to break all of Lamar Jackson's record, Lamar Jackson's record at Louisville. He's somebody that 
if a campaign states a right for Louisville, he could be sitting in New York and we completely X him out. So that's the thing to where, you know, linebackers and D-line were more important because he does a lot of his damage that way. He's not a guy that's going to sit in the pocket and look like Gary Strader and make anticipatory throws. But, um, you know, it was it's a thing to where, like, D-line and linebackers, A-plus for this game. But a game like Purdue versus Aiden O'Connell, that'll, like I said, we mentioned in the space yesterday, that'll be, okay, Garrett, Deuce, this is your game to step up, strap in, and um, the corners will definitely be more important in that matchup to the success of the two, the outcome. Yeah, and I just, I just want to take that a step further and to go back to that stat. 30 straight games with a touchdown, that's almost three consecutive seasons of scoring a touchdown in every game. I mean, that's, you can't, that perfectly epitomizes what Syracuse's defense did against Louisville Saturday night. It was, it was not just, oh yeah, they played really good defense and, and Syracuse won. Okay, fine. This was, that was a special performance. And I think that stat is, is the primary example of just how special that performance was. Yeah. I, I do want to touch on one thing though, that made me a bit uh, a bit worried. Obviously, Garrett Williams had the interception on that deep cross uh, play from Louisville, but I, I kind of saw as as the game went on, more and more Malik Cunningham was going to whoever Williams was was covering, and they were completing catches, and it kind of made me think that they were exploiting a weak spot in the secondary in Garrett Williams, especially on short plays, uh, on uh, on short slants, uh, anything toward the sideline it just kind of seemed like Williams was just a step behind the receiver. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if this is something that's maybe it was just a week one thing adjusting, um, but he, he kind of did look like a weak spot in the secondary. I can, I can jump in gross. Cause I definitely just yeah, please. going back and looking and reviewing some of the film. I definitely, I mean, Tyler Hudson had, I think almost 90 yards against, uh, and he was the number one guy for Louisville. A, you know, just doing some, you know, my journalistic research. I kind of just read up on Louisville receivers. He was the only truly the guy that really separated himself during camp um, for Louisville. You know, the rest of the receivers, you know, they brought in Tyon Evans as a running back, but the rest of the receivers, eh, he's the guy that was first team all FCS guy at UCA. Shout out to the, the Purple Bears. And, um, <laughs> you know, 6'2, 200. He, he was, he's going to be Louisville's guy. You know, we talk about Syracuse's, you know, in and out receiver room. And he, you know, I think Louisville is probably in the same situation where they have one established guy and a lot of men. But also, in terms of the actual concepts that they are running, you know, Syracuse is a, a great cover two team. You know, Garrett and Deuce, I would think they're great man corners, but they, run, they, do, they do run a lot of zone. And what Louisville was doing was running a lot of crossers with Tyler Hudson running across the field. You know, any defensive back will tell you that that's just one of the hardest routes to stop, either in man or in zone, because, man, you're running away from me. And in zone, you're running away from my coverage. You know, you're running to the sideline. So I think I wouldn't read too much into it. That's a great observation, Gross. I love that you're learning the game so quickly. But it's just more of a – that was the thing where they wanted to scheme T. Huddy open versus, you know, Garrett slipping up per se. Yeah, and, and, and other teams are going to notice that too, right? So if we're noticing it, then the guys that are paid to notice it, they're going to notice it, and they're going to try to run some of those same things to get their, their receivers in similar situations. The one thing I'll, I, I would point to is if you watch the way that Syracuse lines up pre-snap oftentimes is Deuce is usually up close to the line of scrimmage on his man, and Garrett is often several steps back. Now, at least on Saturday night it was. Now, I don't what I don't know is if that is – that's going to be the base for most weeks, or if this was a 
Louisville has beat us with a lot of deep passes in the past. And this is sort of how we're adjusting to that. We're going to keep some stuff in front of us and give up some stuff that we ordinarily wouldn't. Now, if this becomes a consistent theme where teams are dinking and dunking up the field and moving on Syracuse and getting into the red zone, you can't rely on getting three turnovers to stop them from scoring and get a goal line stand to keep them out of the end zone. You can do that in the game, maybe a couple of games in a year. But, you know, it, that, if that's something that becomes a consistent thing, then that's certainly something that Syracuse is going to have to do to adjust so that teams aren't moving the ball on them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to have to to change at least in, in the future when, I know we keep saying it, but when they play those teams that are better than Louisville, um, it's going to have to to adjust. Um, before we go on to UConn, any, any, any other things that you guys saw uh, from this game that, needed to be, you know, said, yeah, Mike, I see you nodding your head there. Yeah. Yes, I do. So <laughs> I, I, I don't think this gets enough attention because of all the great stuff we saw from the offense, the great stuff we saw from the defense. We've discussed it at length. Uh, you know, a lot of encouraging signs on both sides of the ball. Um, how about punting? Shout out to punters, right? Syracuse brings in the Australian freshman and he's out there bombing 49 yarders with, uh, tremendous hang time and forcing fair catches a far cry from the eight to 12 yard punts. We were seeing from Syracuse last year when they were going to third string walk-ons because guys were hurt and not performing well. And it was just a cluster of all clusters last year um, on, on special teams in a lot of ways, but no more so than at punter. And I think Syracuse has found a punter in Max von Marburg from Australia, as I mentioned, um, he has a tremendous accent, so I hope we get to hear from him a little bit more in the future. He's fun to listen to. With uh, I remember when I interviewed him after signing day, he was a signing day surprise, and um, you know it's, he's he's just a really fun guy to talk to. So I hope Syracuse fans get to hear from him a little bit in the future. But you know, special teams all around, I thought were really good. He was, uh, you know, Andre Schmidt made his only field goal attempt and was perfect on extra points. The kick and punt coverage units were really good. I just thought all around special teams were were very solid. And, you know, Syracuse under Dino Babers, other than really last year, pretty much said, yeah, we're going to be good on special teams. We know that we're not going to worry about that. I think you can start getting back to that based on what we saw on Saturday. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say, uh, Rose, is uh, there were, you know, even in our season predictions, there were definitely key games throughout the season that – you know, there were swing games for Cuse in order to get to the bowl game. This game, Purdue game, Virginia game. You know, we obviously we know about, you know, the vaunted stretch they have going, uh, you know, the back half of the season. So it, it was of the utmost importance to, um, to, to, to get some of these swing games in their favor. You know, and from my perspective, this is probably the toughest, you know, quote unquote swing game. I don't think Purdue or, I mean, Brendan Armstrong, you know, I love them, but we have the advantage of having Robert and I and having kind of Virginia UVA's playbook in our back pocket. But I don't think Purdue or – I mean, Devin Leary, but I don't think there's any other quarterback right now in the, in the conference that is purely talented as Malik Cunningham on the ground and through the air. So if this is something that you kind of knocked this cast – you not, ran through this wall week one, you know, the Purdue game, the Virginia game. You're, you're, setting, yourself up, you're, you're setting yourself up for um, reaching that bowl game that you're, you're – all the fans are winning and, you know, getting into eight, nine, ten win territory, which would excite a lot of people, including all three people on this podcast. Yeah, Alabama better watch out, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, bring on Bama. Um, well, historically, Syracuse has always been a really good first-half team. Um, and, you know, 
they showed that last year, at least in the first four games, they were three and one. But the one game that they did lose is kind of a game that they're going to be playing this this upcoming weekend against UConn. They, they lost to Rutgers last year, um, seven to seventeen in the dome. Not now, UConn's not as good as Rutgers, um, but then again, it, it's almost like all right. They had a really good outing against Ohio in Week One. Ohio, obviously, not Louisville, so they're going to have a lot more confidence than they did Week One this year after they they had Week One last year. But Rutgers, you know, they didn't. I don't think they looked at Rutgers as a threat, nor were they a threat at the time. But I think that you know maybe that kind of got lost in some things and said in their minds, oh, you know, we're going to start the season four and zero going into the Florida State game. Um, down in, in, in Tallahassee. So, you know, we'll be fine. And then obviously week two, they go and lose to Rutgers. I, I, I kind of see, well, granted UConn, they're one and one already. They played Utah state. They lost on the road there. Uh, and they played at home this past weekend against central Connecticut, won 28 to three. Um, they're not exactly a good team, um, but I wouldn't call them bad by any means. Uh, I just, I don't know how, how Syracuse is going to, is going to feel, in that locker room, because I don't want them to be, you know, have that mindset of, oh, this is just, you know, another team we get to walk through before we get to the big games like Purdue next weekend. Um, what do they have to do kind of in practice this week to really stress UConn is just like any other opponent? Well, I, I'll start with um, I think the obvious is that I don't think Syracuse can afford to overlook anybody. Even even Wagner. I mean, honestly, if you want to have the type of season where you're getting to a bowl game when you have a tough schedule, you have to take advantage of every single opportunity you have. Week one was an opportunity to get a team at home that you've struggled against, but you've struggled against primarily on the road. Now you get them at home at your place. You get them earlier in the season. You're healthy against them for the first time in several years. And you go out and you play really well and earn a victory. Now you've set yourself up to rack up some early season wins and give yourself a little wiggle room. If assuming a bowl game is still, you know, your primary goal. If you take a step back and you overlook a UConn team and figure out a way to lose to that team, a team you should not lose to, then you put yourself right back at square one. Every, every bit of equity and, and buzz and hype and fan support that you gained in week one is completely gone and you're back to pessimistic Syracuse fans ruling the roost, so to speak. So, you know, if you're Syracuse, the sign of a good team is being able to stay locked in and playing a team like this. That's, you know, that's, this is not a game that's going to be as easy to get up to as it is the season opener against Louisville, a team that's dominated you and you want to prove things aren't the same anymore. It's not the same. So going on the road for the first time, playing against a team that you should view as inferior than you, a good team will go in there and they will start out by smacking UConn right in the mouth, jumping out on them early and showing everyone this game is, is over after the first quarter and a half. If you're not that team, then you let a team like that hang around. Now that said it's college football, East Carolina almost beats NC state uh, app state almost beats North Carolina. I mean, stuff like that. It happens all over the country, right? Weird things happen. Teams play way above their talent level. I was, if I'm Syracuse, I would be a little bit more concerned about this game. If UConn still had Taquan Robinson, the Penn state transfer as their quarterback, he's really athletic, really mobile. He's someone who can just completely disrupt a disrupt a defensive game plan he's done for the season and when he was out there in week one against Utah State at Utah State 
they scored 14 points and were up 14 nothing on on Utah State. Then he goes out and Utah State goes 31 to 6 from that point on and their backup cornerback uh, quarterback Zion Turner goes 12 for 31. You know, 30% Jeez. passing essentially. Not good, right? And so then they they played Central Connecticut State who isn't, you know, that that's a team that any FBS team should should blow out. Um, but that was a seven to three game at the half. So, the, I mean, you know, they, they scored twice in the fourth quarter to put the game away, essentially once late in the third quarter, then twice in the fourth quarter to make it a 28 to three game. But that was not one where UConn just dominated them from start to finish. If you're Syracuse, you should go into this game and dominate UConn from start to finish. You're more talented at basically every position they're missing the X factor that could keep them in a game and a really athletic quarterback He's done. He's done for the season. So they're on their backup. You're better. Period. Go out and prove it. True. I mean, I'm personally always a little biased against UConn because I was getting recruited by them, and they decided to offer some guy named Travis Jones, just some sort of NFL <laughs> dude. He's, you know, he probably didn't turn out too well or nothing. But yeah, Mr. Mike, you covered it perfectly. You know, UConn is a borderline FCS level, FCS level talented team, and you know, not only should Q's kind of go out there. And when they should kind of do it the right way, you know, we should see Carlos Rio Del Wilson, all the walk-offs. We should see those guys in the second half. And that'll that's a – if they want to be a bold team, that's one of the procedural things that they'll have to do in terms of, you know, sustaining momentum, doing handling pro, the correct process week in, week out to, uh, like you said, not overlook any, anybody, making sure that they win the games that they're supposed to win, but also don't lose the games they're not supposed to lose. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I'm kind of excited to possibly, hopefully see – uh the real wilson um play against uconn and then play against wagner um or maybe even see some dan Villari reps against wagner you know if they're up by if they're up by uh, so much but um i mean with the way that garrett schrader's playing i i at least through game one i, I would kind of hope that he gets more and more time um to be able to get more comfortable within the new, the new scheme uh, of Robert and I, and, and just kind of with, with all these guys, because that's so important to have that chemistry on the field, which Syracuse really didn't have much of that um, in years prior Um, in terms of UConn, right. They don't really possess much danger to Syracuse, but that's only if uh, you do things the right way and you prep the right way uh, in practice the week leading up. Um, I mean, I'm guessing we all expect a, a win against UConn on Saturday. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think be... Syracuse is going to cut their favor by 21 points. I think they're going to okay. cover. <laughs> I mean, that would be this is Jim Moore's first, you know, big game per se at UConn. You know, great guy. I met him a couple times in the process. Perennial underachiever, couldn't even succeed at UCLA. You can't win football games in Los Angeles. I don't know if you're going to do it in Storrs, Connecticut. But this is a great opportunity for him to, you know, kind of set his program the right way. So, you know, if nobody else, you know, he coach execution and game plan will be on point to, you know, surprise the people potentially. Um, one more thing that it's been on my mind a while because I, I saw a, an Instagram video about this. Uh, one of those reels that kind of go through uh, about there were these chocolate chip cookies. And then the next one I went to was a, a snickerdoodle cookie. And I, I wanted to ask you guys, what's your favorite cookie? Because for me, it's oatmeal raisin. Uh, and it cookies what? have been on my mind. It, they've been on my mind. They've been on my mind. I know, I know. I'm going to get a lot of people, uh, you know, telling me what's what's wrong with you. I love oatmeal raisin cookies. Um, but 
what's your guys' favorite cookie? It's just been on my mind. I have to know. The raisins ruin it, man. No. Michael Gross is the youngest 65-year-old male ever. <laughs> That's right. Listen, I, I love oatmeal cookies, but when you have raisins in them, that ruins it. Um, and and trust me, I, I know my cookies. But um, if if I'm going to – I I like the traditional chocolate chip. Um, I like snickerdoodles, but – I like peanut butter everything, man. I'm a peanut butter cookie guy. That's my thing. Ooh, you're not you're not considered a people with allergies. That's okay. You're very <laughs> I apologize to everyone. And and as someone who is married to someone who has food allergy, my wife has celiac, so she has to eat everything gluten-free. Trust me, I am very sensitive to food allergies. So um shout out to anyone who has to deal with a, a nut allergy of any kind. They are awful. I I can't even imagine. So um, apologize to to all of you fine folks out there, but I am a a peanut butter lover myself. Which means more for you. That's right. I have to be congruent. I definitely, I'm a traditional uh, chocolate chip person. I like the the double chocolate chip stuff, like one with the the cookie is chocolate and the chips are chocolate. That's too much sweetness for me. But uh, give like a little X factor, like white chocolate chip cookies without mm. the macadamia nuts. Macadamia, I don't nuts are okay. What they don't taste like anything. Why do you put them in there? <laughs> Let's put more Thank white you. chocolate chips in there. Yeah. Thank you. Somebody that understands my point. I get it. Finally. I get Thank it. you. I mean, I listen. I'm I'm right. I, I'm right with you guys. I love the traditional chocolate chip cookies, the snickerdoodles in Christmas time. Um, it, there's not much, not much better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but from it's, it's the warm oatmeal raisin. It's just, for me, it's what it is. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, you're right. You're right, Josh. Maybe I am the oldest 65 year old <laughs> or the youngest 65 year old out there. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. Oh, wrong. I mean, oh, listen, every, I like, everyone's got to have a thing. So, you know, own it and love it. I like <laughs> listening to baseball on the radio. I like listening to jazz music. Maybe I am. I'm, I'm way out of my time. I'm way out of my time. <laughs> If we um, see, if we start seeing you walk around in New Balances, then we're gonna have there you go. Right? Not the court, yeah. Then the the the, the, <laughs> Uncle shoes, the Cortez. We're, we're yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're gonna do the the jean shorts and the oversized tee that's tucked in with the belt. Yeah, we'll get you in the uh, and the, suspenders. Uh, guy yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. Right. Don't turn yeah. into your parents. <laughs> Don't yes. turn into your parents. You should do that with the oatmeal raisin cookies. You should serve it to that guy who's walking around trying to teach people not to be. You should be like, what's oh, a good. <laughs> it's oatmeal way less sweeter than chocolate yeah exactly that would be a banger for sure all right thank you guys for uh i think that's i think that that's a perfect way to end it thank you guys for joining us on the believe in syracuse podcast episode 42 the second of this season syracuse big win this past weekend looking to get another one against yukon on saturday once again the wonderful josh crawford and mike McAllister. i'm michael gross saying so long and maybe see you later this week Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.